COVID-19 infections drop off. We have to stay 100% committed. We have to stay 100% all in. A low total over 48 hours and how one local company is helping spot the outbreak. Backlash after Vancouver's mayor asks for a bailout. I think the mayor needs to roll up his sleeves and do a bit of work first. Why some say the mayor's desperate plea is too much too soon. And high-risk behavior. All right, guys, we're here in downtown Vancouver. What the health minister says about COVID deniers putting themselves and others at risk. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. Some encouragement now from BC health officials that what we're collectively doing in the fight against COVID-19 is working. The good news first, over the past 48 hours, we've seen just 45 new cases for a total now of 1,490 in BC. Sadly, in the same period, 11 more deaths, eight in long-term care homes. And while it will be a few more days, before we realize if the long weekend resulted in some bending of the rules. As Keith Baldry reports, today's numbers show what can happen if we stay the course. Today actually marks our 50th public update since this crisis began. Uh, what Dr. Bonnie be Henry and Health but, Minister um, Adrian Dix have been speaking to the B.C. public every day now for almost two months. They're not predictive. So, she thinks uh, these briefings are working as people seem to be buying into her strategy. It is so important for all of us to keep going with everything that we are doing now. It is holding us. It is holding our line. It is allowing us to deal with these issues in a way that is uh, the best that we can do for our province. Her approach appears to be working. The numbers continue to be stable. Hospitalizations are up slightly from Saturday, but the number of people in ICUs has dropped and the number of recoveries is now drawing closer to the 1,000 mark. But there is heightened concerns about an outbreak at a Mission Correctional Facility. We now have 35 people in the facility who have tested positive, including eight who are now in hospital in the Fraser Health area. Meanwhile, Adrian Dix provided an update on the personal protection equipment now starting to arrive in B.C. A shipment of PPE that arrived with 109,895 respirators, 51,000 face shields, and 1,200,000 gloves. And the new quarantine measures now in place at YVR are starting to have an impact. Since April 10th, 1,701 people have returned from around the world to British Columbia. 13 travelers have uh, required accommodation um, because they weren't able to immediately fulfill their, their self-isolation plan. And 207 people have been contacted to ensure that they have what they need in follow-up. Like her 49 previous briefings, she offered a note of hope at the end. Keep practicing our physical distance from others at all times, and we will all get through this. Remember, this is not forever, but it is for now. And what you're doing is making a difference. Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, we learned a little more today in the briefing about how the tests work and that they mm -hmm. definitely aren't perfect. No, indeed. In fact, I think Bonnie, Dr. Bonnie Henry gets asked about her testing strategy more than pretty well any other topic. I've been at all 50 briefings and test always comes up. And a lot of people are armchair experts on social media. They're, they're sort of second guessing her strategy, but she's adamant she's on the right track. And one of the big problems with the testing, it comes back with a lot of false information. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry. 
The testing, unfortunately, doesn't tell us the whole story. People can be negative one minute and positive um, within an hour. The test itself is not as sensitive as we expected it to be at the beginning. So we now know that about uh, the false negative rate can be as high as, as 30% early on in infection. So we still, uh, are, the norm is not to test people who do not have symptoms because we know the test doesn't perform very well and we can have false negatives. So the briefings will continue all week at 3 o'clock, carried live on BC1. Uh, the big day this week, we expect to be Friday, when Dr. Bonnie Henry and her team will release new modeling of different scenarios BC could be anticipating. As you mentioned off the top, Chris, we'll probably know next weekend whether our behavior this past weekend was sufficient enough to keep the numbers down or whether it was worse enough to make the numbers go back up. 20 since Sunday was a good number. Let's stay on that mm -hmm. trend if there's any way yep. we can. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. No shortage of controversy tonight over Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart's warning that his city could go bankrupt unless it gets a bailout from the B.C. government. The reaction includes criticism that the city should get its financial house in order before asking for money from the province. Ted Chernecki reports. Vancouver has a cash crisis, as so many of its citizens have watched their income suddenly disappear. This is going to have dire impacts if it, if it continues, and we're really uh, you know, looking for solutions from the federal and provincial governments. That forecast stems from an online survey by ResearchCo paid for by the city. It found only 68% of those asked said they paid their full mortgage on April 1st, and only 55% will be able to pay in May. As for renters and half of all Vancouverites rent, 30% failed to pay rent on April 1st and 37% won't likely pay in May. Moreover, 25% of landlords and homeowners don't think they'll be able to pay more than half their property tax. Now critics are again saying Vancouver's paying the price for spending hundreds of millions of dollars on affordable housing when that's not in its mandate. But Vancouver has been very quick to step in and invest significantly in a lot of those um, social challenges um, above and beyond traditionally what a municipality would do and, and beyond the level of other municipalities. So tomorrow, a special online virtual council meeting to, among other things, look at where to make cuts. I would say, given that Vancouver's budget has gone from $900 million in 2008 to $1.6 billion, uh, it, there's money there, I think, that we can find. Every other business I know of is reforming itself, reshaping itself. The city hasn't done really any of that work. It simply said, we need a big check and we need it now. Other cities like Burnaby and Coquitlam are in much better shape financially. At half the size of Vancouver, Burnaby has more than a billion dollars in its emergency fund. Vancouver, 130 million. You need to prepare for the worst. Vancouver did not prepare for the worst and here we are today. While other municipalities have nothing like Vancouver's downtown east side, the COVID crisis could force Vancouver back to funding only the essentials, like sewer, water, police and fire. Ted Chernecki, Global News. There's a renewed call today to bring in new ferry restrictions after a perceived increase in traffic over the holiday long weekend. The goal of a new petition is to reduce the spread of COVID-19. But as Brad McLeod reports, BC Ferries reports a massive drop in traffic compared to the same long weekend last year. Local leaders have been asking for weeks now, stay away from our communities. And it was clear that folks were ignoring that this long weekend. An influx of travelers to the island has forced community leaders 
to act. Is there a way to restrict ferry traffic to essential only for the next long weekend in May? Oh, I'm all for it. I definitely agree. I saw that uh, for the long weekend here, all the ferries were like 100% coming to the island. I actually live on a major route in Nanaimo, and I've seen a lot of people with campers and boats driving by. Bronwyn Blunt started a petition to restrict ferry access. It's well on its way to the goal of 50,000 signatures. The Green Party MP for Nanaimo Ladysmith drafting his own letter to the Premier and Prime Minister. What happened in Tofino is a good example where they, they just set up a checkpoint. They did this at Tawasin and just asked people, like, what's your intention of going over to Vancouver Island? or to any of these small Gulf islands. There are many reasons why people may need to travel. The provincial health officer says weekend traffic estimates were overblown. BC Ferries reminding people they've drastically reduced sailings and Transport Canada issued an order to cut the amount of passengers allowed on board by half. Passenger traffic was down 92% versus uh, Easter weekend last year and vehicle traffic was down 82%. But for many, any influx is too much. We have more seniors here than anywhere else. There's no health services on, on these islands or very limited health services. People are just worried about their family members and neighbours. Fundamentally, this long weekend has shown us that people aren't listening. Mayor Sebring will send his letter to the province Tuesday morning. He estimates about 35 island mayors and officials are on board. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Oak Bay police officers made a wild early morning arrest out on the water. The incident started around 3.30 a.m. Police informed a 54-foot yacht had been stolen. They called in the Coast Guard, who transported them out to the vessel. When officers boarded the boat, they found a man they describe as uncooperative. Police say the 25-year-old prolific offender was in possession of a knife and claimed to have COVID-19. He was taken into custody and then to hospital based on his COVID claim. Oak Bay police say he's been given the all clear for COVID-19 and is now facing a string of charges. We believe he pedaled from the shore with a canoe uh, to this yacht and then took the yacht. We believe at this time that the keys were in the yacht and uh, that he was able to uh, force his way in the door and then paddle from there. Uh, his end game, uh, we're not really sure if it was just uh, to have uh, one uh, comfortable night. We do believe he is of no fixed address. So whether this was to uh, take this yacht um, and sell it or whether this was uh, him trying to create a, a permanent residence or whether it was just one comfortable night, we don't really know at this time. The spread of coronavirus through the expelled droplets of an infected person has made us all a lot more vigilant. So our next story is particularly disturbing given the reality we're living in, and it may leave you shaking your head. As Romina Dea reports, police are seeing an increase in people spitting on them and claiming to have COVID-19. You have the right to remain silent. Vancouver's police chief sending a serious warning via Twitter. Two men have been charged with assault after allegedly spitting at police claiming to have COVID-19. To knowingly try to infect somebody, either having it or not having it, is still an assault on somebody, and we're not going to be putting up with that. Two disturbing incidents the weekend of April 4th. First, at Home Depot, where police say a robbery suspect claiming to have COVID-19 spit in the face of a loss prevention officer. Then at Urban Fair, police say a different suspect spit in the direction of staff, also claiming to have COVID. Our officers attended 
arrested this individual where he became very mad spit in the face of more officers. Kelowna, Oak Bay, Coquitlam. Police officers are facing similar threats across the province. We don't know uh, just how sick this suspect was. We do know, or at least we believe, that he deliberately coughed on our members just to try and perhaps create some kind of fear. That's not acceptable. Intentionally spitting or coughing on someone amounts to assault and can lead to criminal charges. Whether a suspect is infected with COVID-19 or anything else, it doesn't matter. A threat is a threat. Even if a disease isn't communicated to that person or, or received by that person, uh, it, is, uh, it is an aggravating factor given the uh, uh, the anxiety that they experience as a result of that. In the Vancouver incidents, it's unclear if the suspects actually had COVID-19. The officers have been tested. The results, negative. 42-year-old David Crow and 37-year-old Daryl Sutter have been charged with assault for allegedly spitting on police. This is not going to be taken lightly. We are going to be arresting you for aggravated assault. This is a weapon which you're utilizing to get people sick and put their lives in danger. Romina Dea, Global News. In other news tonight, the retired Supreme Court justice who led one of the most important public inquiries in B.C. history has died. Thomas Braidwood was the commissioner of the inquiry into the 2007 death of Polish immigrant Robert Jakanski at Vancouver International Airport. The inquiry led to convictions of two officers for perjury. It also changed the way police in B.C. used tasers and led to the creation of the Independent Investigations Office to look into serious incidents involving police in B.C. Former Justice Thomas Braidwood was 89 years old. A lot of people were shocked to see a parade of misinformation in Vancouver on Sunday. Why this video, posted by a noted conspiracy theorist, got the attention of everyone from the health minister to comedian Seth Rogen in just over a minute. How a six-foot pool noodle is helping city employees demonstrate proper social distancing coming up on the news hour. And an impressive tribute to healthcare heroes, Rio's Christ the Redeemer statue wearing scrubs coming up later as well. But right now, BC's health minister singling out what he sees as another example of bad behavior in a time of crisis. Adrian Dix accusing a local conspiracy theorist of using the suffering of others to promote himself. And as Richard Zussman reports, even a Vancouver celebrity is weighing in. We're here in downtown Vancouver for a massive march against tyranny. It's quickly gaining attention for all the wrong reasons. An online video that has now been seen more than two million times of a small Vancouver gathering over the weekend pushing people to openly break the rules put in place to prevent the spread of COVID-19. When asked whether this video could lead others to breaking the rules, Health Minister Adrian Dick says most people are following along doing what they should do and was cautious about giving those in the video any extra attention. I think we've seen in the past number of weeks one or two examples of people behaving very badly. The reaction online swift, many lashing out against those in the video, including one of Vancouver's most familiar faces, actor Seth Rogen tweeting, You're an effing idiot. Stay inside. 
others with similar but less colorful language, some calling on these people to be arrested, others fearing their actions could extend government measures. And don't allow people who are attempting to promote themselves by using the suffering of others uh, to distract us. Don't promote them. Don't look at them. The Vancouver Police Department not involved because they say no laws were broken. Political communications expert David Black says the video is an example of someone misunderstanding why the government is imposing restrictions. When skepticism of government might well lead to people making stupid decisions about social distancing, that's where videos like this, apart from their counterintuitive appeal, um, pose a, a public health risk. Black adding the public does have the right to be cautious about the powers government has given itself in this crisis, but that they are only temporary. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. An added danger from those who aren't listening to the stay-at-home order is the risk from rogue campers starting forest fires. It happened a number of times over the weekend, and as Global's Travis Lowe reports, it kept firefighters busy across the interior. Just across the road from the Trader's Cove community. This could catch in a flash. The forest floor is covered in kindling, left behind by salvaged firewood hunters who have cut and removed all the good wood, but left behind all the trimmings and debris. I would call this an extreme fire danger. And as you can see, we're right along West Side Road here and right across the street from multiple residents. All it would take is one cigarette butt being thrown out a window here and, and we would definitely have a wildfire situation. So people who live in Trader's Cove want the site cleaned up. Something needs to be done, absolutely. Trouble is that the land actually belongs to Tolco, so provincial funds for fuel mitigation work aren't available. The problem is to get uh, the party responsible to do the cleanup. And while Tolco didn't create the fire hazard, a company representative expressed concern to Global News when notified of the situation adding in an email that Tolko will send out a crew to examine the area and determine the next steps. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. Straight ahead, new technology to keep us safe from coronavirus. Uh, software, anything we can do to help the other provinces, we, we certainly are, and we're having those conversations. The software a BC company just launched with the power to protect seniors in care homes and staying in shape while staying apart. The workout that's virtually foolproof. A nice easy commute over here at the Patello Bridge this evening. Minimal delays southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch and no delays at all out of Surrey. At Kermat Collision and Autoglass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers and community is their top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Patello Bridge. Industries that seem to be booming during the pandemic are anything to do with fitness, whether it's online classes or setting up a home gym. As Sarah McDonald reports, the hardest part about starting, maybe just finding the equipment. As many industries struggle to weather the economic impact of COVID-19, anything fitness is still a booming business. This is the busiest we've ever been. There's going to be a a, a glut of inventory coming, um, but it's way too little for the amount of people that want it. With most gyms closed and classes cancelled, Canadians looking to improve or maintain their physical fitness are bringing the gym 
to them. That is, if they can even find suddenly sought-after exercise equipment. Dumbbells are now the new toilet paper. So uh, <laughs> I would say at this point in time, North America is just about out of dumbbells and weights. So um, uh, a lot of the stuff is manufactured overseas, off the charts busy. Our phones are off the charts busy. Online fitness classes are also filling up fast. Clients who typically train with Kate Alvarado in person. The demand's just getting more. I think people are yearning for some levity in their life um, and some normalcies. Are now working up a sweat virtually. The options for online classes expanding as social distancing measures increase. What's so cool about the virtual class that you don't get in your just normal class is you get all pockets of the world zooming in. So in my first class, I had people from Hong Kong, Australia, New York, California, Vancouver, Ontario, all at the same time. And it just reinvigorated you that this is exactly what we need to be doing right now. And at a time when what we all need to be doing is keeping our distance, the clientele is only expected to grow. The advice for fitness-savvy customers? Order or sign up early for equipment or classes to avoid missing a beat. Sarah McDonald, Global News. The dangers of cross-contamination between healthcare and seniors facilities has been a major worry in the fight against COVID-19. Now, a software program created by a Vancouver-based tech company is being put to work to identify potential contamination hotspots and help keep healthcare workers and patients safe. Aaron MacArthur explains how it works. It's all been sanitized and cleaned and ready for you. This Residents and workers at long-term care facilities have bared the brunt of BC's COVID-19 epidemic. Stopping the outbreaks has been one of the province's key concerns. To those environments, it's very, very challenging to manage. The biggest issue has been dealing with how and when healthcare workers can come into contact with seniors. Workers are often forced to pick up shifts at multiple sites to make ends meet. Adding to the complexity, some facilities are unionized, others private. Pay scales are different and working conditions can be all over the map. Last Friday, the provincial health officer finally implemented a March 27th order limiting all workers to only one facility. We anticipate it, it, that it will be in the neighborhood of $10 million a month. A Saturday morning conversation with Vancouver-based AppNovation led to the solution in less than a week. Um, I think the leadership from the ministry and from HEABC has been fantastic, um, which has allowed us to move fast and secure and confident. AppNovation collected the staffing data and preferences of more than 100,000 healthcare workers and cross-referenced it with schedules at 1,200 separate healthcare facilities. With a real-time view of cross-contamination hotspots, key resource decisions were made across the province's long-term care and assisted living facilities. Built on a modern cloud architecture, it's all serverless, highly secure. Both the team and the ministry have done a tremendous job here to ensure that that privacy is protected. The solution has been such a success, Albertan officials have been calling, asking for help. And considering the need in long-term care facilities across the country, solutions might be a huge step in the right direction. And so uh, anything we can do to help the other provinces, we, we certainly are, and we're having those conversations, some of those conversations right now. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Health Canada has given the green light to new testing technology for COVID-19 that could help ease the strain on labs and testing kit shortages. Ottawa-based Spartan Bioscience received approval for its DNA analyzer called the Spartan Cube. 
The coffee cup-sized device can be operated without a lab technician in places like airports, pharmacies, and in remote communities. The company says it's ready to start shipping immediately. Both Ontario and Alberta have put in orders to scale up testing capacity in each province. Dr. Bonnie Henry says the Spartan Cube won't be available to B.C. until maybe the summer, but we have other similar testing kits that we'll use until then. Up next, Donald Trump anxious to restart the economy, but states say not so fast. The dispute over his May 1st deadline later. And with so many empty hospital beds in B.C., patients awaiting surgery wonder if it's time to loosen the rules. Traffic is in good shape over here at the Massey Tunnel in both directions. No need for counterflow this afternoon and this evening. Traffic is moving well between Delta and Richmond. Bank securely from anywhere, anytime with CIBC, whether it's paying bills, depositing checks, or transferring money in Canada and around the world. With CIBC, you can do it all 24-7. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. Rio's Christ the Redeemer statue lit up for Easter in a different way on Sunday night, paying tribute to health workers in Brazil and across the world battling the spread of the novel coronavirus. The statue appeared as though it was dressed in hospital scrubs and had a stethoscope, a stethoscope draped around its neck. Various flags from different countries were also projected on the statue as well as the word hope. More than half a million Americans have tested positive for COVID-19 now, but as the death toll continues to rise, there's a growing dispute between President Trump and his health advisors over kickstarting the economy. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. As the U.S. battles COVID-19, a new fight is brewing in Washington over when and how to get Americans back to work. It's going to be a a step-by-step gradual process. It's got to be data-driven. President Donald Trump has set a goal of May 1st, envisioning the country will flip the switch to reopen the economy. But his own top health advisor has frequently undercut that desire, saying even a rolling re-entry poses a risk. And when one starts to relax some of those restrictions, we know that there will be people who will be getting infected. Trump insists it will be his decision, even though it lies in the hands of governors and local officials who enacted stay-at-home rules. It is a delicate balance. A plan is now in action that would allow for some businesses to reopen in parts of the U.S. Northeast, with a gradually changing definition of what services are considered essential. I want to make sure we know from our studying and assessment of what's going on in other countries that what worked, what didn't work, and let's learn from those lessons. There are also encouraging signs when it comes to New York's curve. I'm pleased to report we do see all the indicators moving in the right direction. And while there are fewer ICU admissions, the death rate is still high, albeit flat. New York, starting the week by reaching a grim milestone of 10,000 reported deaths. And while the number of cases and deaths rises around the country, the Centers for Disease Control says the peak is near. I think we'll sometime, hopefully this week, we will be able to say that, you know, you'll know when you're at the peak when the next day is actually less than the day before. But that hope for many states is faint, with the top of so many curves still so many weeks away. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. And as if the pandemic wasn't enough to deal with in the U.S., at least 30 people are dead, dozens are injured, and thousands no longer have a place to live after violent storms sparked a string of destructive tornadoes across the U.S. southeast. 
Got a funnel cloud right here in front of me. More than 40 twisters tore a path of devastation through the deep south to the east coast. The wreckage stretches across a number of states. Homes and businesses are in ruins and more than a million people are still without electricity. The U.K. is seeing more COVID-19 infections and deaths. The latest report showing more than 700 people died, bringing the total there to more than 11,000. Across Europe, there's more talk about easing lockdown measures as some in Spain have been allowed to return to work. Global's Crystal Gumansing reports. It's a bank holiday in the U.K., but it doesn't matter. Businesses have been closed for weeks. Lockdown fatigue is setting in, but officials warn the alternative is worse. If we lift these restrictions too early, we risk the virus spreading out of control. We risk it overwhelming our National Health Service, and of course we risk it taking many more lives. A similar message coming from those in London. The UK has seen more than 11,000 deaths, and those are only ones directly linked to the pandemic that have occurred in hospitals. We're still not past the peak of this virus. So please, continue to follow the advice now more than ever to stay home, save lives and protect our NHS. European neighbours Italy and Spain are easing some restrictions. In Madrid, construction workers and some in the manufacturing sector returned to their jobs. As some Spaniards headed back to work, others haven't been able to stop. Nurses pausing for a moment to mourn colleagues who have died from COVID-19. She says it's a physical and mental stress that we cannot stand and often shows and makes a mark in the team. The World Health Organization warns governments considering easing restrictions that the risk is high, considering how fast the virus spreads and how deadly it's proven to be. Now is the time for vigilance. Now is the time to double down. Now is the time to be very, very careful. On Tuesday, the World Health Organization will publish guidance for countries to consider if they plan on easing restrictions. Crystal Gamansing, Global News. London. It may go down as one of the most controversial and consequential choices made during the COVID-19 crisis here. The decision to cancel thousands of non-emergency surgeries and procedures to free up hospital resources and beds. But those surgeries still need to be done. And when BC's medical system returns to some new version of normal, the backlog is going to be huge. Nadia Stewart reports. The nerves coming down my neck are getting compressed under my collarbone into my arm. Alisa Stevens is a frontline worker who's been sidelined by an injury. The Metro Vancouver nurse is unable to work. She was weeks away from a surgery to rid her of the pain when COVID-19 hit and scheduled surgeries in B.C., were postponed. As a nurse, I know, you know, the importance of everything and uh, why things are being done. But then on the other hand, um, I'm not alone in this, in, you know, being so close to having a surgery and it's just kind of stripped right from under you. Since March 16th, 11,000 surgeries have been put on hold, freeing up one third of the province's acute care beds. The day that we announced cancelling surgeries was the day that we announced that we put together a team to prepare for what would happen when we were able to do elective surgeries again. 
But Dix says restarting surgeries hinges on how soon BC flattens its curve. And this past Easter weekend is a key indicator of the degree to which people are heeding the warnings and keeping their distance. Dix says False Creek Surgical Centre, a private clinic, will be helping to clear the backlog. We can work six days a week. We're not limited to office hours if we, if we want to open hours. So I, so, so I think even at a conservative end, we can look at 3,000, 3,500 surgeries a year. But experts say even with the additional help, there will be challenges. Without all of this happening, Canada's healthcare system used to struggle with long wait times for care. The Fraser Institute's Bacchus Barua says at a provincial and federal level, there needs to be a conversation around reducing wait times in a post-COVID-19 world. We should consider whether we should allow patients to pay for treatment after this for those who can pay for it so that we can alleviate some of the strain on the public sector. I'd be willing to pay for it if I had to. Stevens hopes urgent surgeries will be allowed within the next few weeks so she can get back to helping others instead of being paralyzed by pain. Nadia Stirk, Global News. Up ahead, a homemade product that's a big help to frontline workers. How a BC teenager is providing comfort to doctors and nurses with his technical expertise. Also tonight, Adam Hadwin comes home. How the local golf phenom is passing the time during the pandemic. A visual reminder to use your noodle while out and about during the pandemic. That message coming up right after Christie's forecast. They get points for being creative. And there's Christie. Now, I notice you've put a sweatshirt on. Has it cooled down a little bit since uh, earlier this afternoon, Christie? It sure has. And, you know, today it was terrific. We saw temperatures just slightly above seasonal, about 13 degrees across the region. But there was a cool breeze today. And you'll likely feel that again tomorrow before things really heat up this week. So lots to look forward to, everyone. Let's start things off with a look at your photos. Uh, this one from Vancouver. Jane sending me this. Uh, yes, enjoy your day, but stay well apart. Good job, you guys. And here's a look at what we're going to see. So Jetstream protecting us, driving way up and over the coastal region. But it is going to bring in a system from northeast, sorry, northwestern BC into southeastern BC over the next 24 hours. It will move quickly, but it will bring rain into northern sections tomorrow morning, southern regions later in the day, and then it clears out Wednesday pretty quickly. So periods of rain for northern regions, likely no snow for many areas. Temperatures are now milder, except for Vailmont. You may see a bit of snow overnight, and then these areas will see the rainfall later in the day. But the south coast still protected sunshine tomorrow 13 degrees likely by the water so similar temperatures to what we saw today but i thought i'd show you seven day forecast because at this point as far as we can see no sunshine or sorry no change in the forecast and lots of sunshine and there's your central windows weather window from lynn balmer and he says it is a he lynn is a he and he was uh practicing his photography now that he's social distancing hey with the macro lens there too okay thank you very much christy great looking forecast as well a strange sight on the west van seawalk today with a very serious message where's my picture going Sorry. well your picture's going on the global news hour of course park rangers walking down the seawall holding those pool noodles to remind people how far apart they should stay from each other for safe social distancing Last week, the Vancouver Park Board closed the Stanley Park seawall to cyclists and closed the park to vehicles so cyclists can use the roads 
all to encourage safe social distancing. So keep that two meters apart, everybody, when you're out enjoying the sunshine. All right, let's check in with Squire very quickly to get a look at what's coming up in sports. Squire? Thank you very much, Chris. Oh, the uh, Carolina Panthers have made their number one running back the number one paid running back. Hands it up to McCaffrey. There he goes! Christian McCaffrey, who is Mr. Everything for Carolina, gets a huge contract extension. Sounds good. Also still to come, a Boy Scout with a 3D printer making life a lot more comfortable for frontline health workers. That's later. <laughs> it's a good thing you're sitting over there because I ironed my tie and now there's a strange aroma coming out of it. That's strange. I am glad. I'm more than a pool noodle away from you right you now. You are indeed. And I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> so the one thing about your favorite athlete and you, you're all on the same level now when it comes to what you can do, which is basically stay safe and keep others safe in the process. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin is at his home in the States waiting, like a lot of other people, for a chance to go back to work. Adam Hadwin's last round of golf was also the last time PGA golfers played a tournament. This past weekend, Adam would have teed it up at his third Masters. And yes, just like the rest of us, he was more than looking forward to it. Just judged it beautifully through the fridge grass. Yeah, it matches such a, such a special place. Um, walking on the ground, um, just being at the golf course, being in the atmosphere, being with three other Canadians. Um, we haven't seen that in a while. Um, I think it ties for most Canadians being at a Masters. So um, it's exciting. We all had a practice round scheduled for Tuesday morning. Um, I think we were, we're all looking forward to kind of spending some time with Mike and learning from him again. Um, I know that my trip's there. I've played practice rounds each time with him, and uh, his knowledge has been invaluable. So um, it's usually the year's first major, and it kind of kicks off um, a big summer. So it's, uh, you know, again, we're kind of all disappointed, but at the same time, we understand the situation, and, and hopefully, like you said, we, we're back there in November. From 141 yards, have to control your spin and your trajectory to this back hole location. Being in a holding pattern is good and bad for the time being, as the first time father gets to spend quality time away from the course with three-month-old daughter Maddox. The bad is not being on the course, where Adams cash checks in all but one of the eight events he's played this season, including a second-place finish at the Safeway Open and a T4 at the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open. It's been great. Um, you know, I was supposed to be on the road for three weeks there, starting at the Players, and I was back Friday, and my dog is licking me now, but um, <laughs> I was back Friday, and, uh, you know, we got to spend some extra time with these guys. So um, there are some... Some small glimmers of hope coming from what's going on right now, um, but I think everybody's looking forward to, to getting back out and kind of getting back to some normalcy. I don't know what he said. I was too busy paying attention to the dog and the baby. Uh, Carolina's Christian McCaffrey is the latest player to hold the title of highest paid running back in the world ever. He got a four-year extension worth $16 million per year. That deal is a million more than what the Cowboys pay Zeke Elliott. The thing about star running backs, though, in the NFL, often they are used so much that they wear down quickly 
even before their big contract is over. And the Panthers use McCaffrey a lot. Last year, he was the guy who got the ball in 53% of their offensive plays, which led the NFL. In fact, 44% of all yards Carolina got from scrimmage came from McCaffrey. He's also the third player in NFL history to have 1,000 yards rushing and passing in the same season. He is still young, though. He'll be only 24 next season. Well, sad news regarding former Seahawks quarterback Tavares Jackson. He was killed last night in a single vehicle accident in Alabama at the age of 36. He had been working as a quarterback's coach at Alabama State, played four years as Russell Wilson's backup in Seattle, won the Super Bowl with the Seahawks in 2014. Before the Seahawks, he was with Minnesota. He was briefly a Buffalo Bill as well. Former teammates tweeted their condolences out today, including Russell Wilson and his old coach, Pete Carroll. Last week, the XFL said it would not be finishing this season because of the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic. Today, the league filed for bankruptcy, pretty pretty much ending any hope it'll come back next year. They had played half a season when they stopped. They had eight teams. Actually, the TV ratings weren't bad this year, but that obviously wasn't enough to try and start up a game. Taiwan's Professional Baseball League, the Chinese Professional Baseball League as it's known, started up this weekend with fans who are in no danger of catching or spreading coronavirus because they're either mannequins or cardboard cutouts, although some of them are still wearing masks, just in case. There you go. That looked weird. It did. All right, thanks very much, Squire. We're back with our healthcare hero tribute and a scout who's doing some amazing things for our healthcare heroes. That's next. A Maple Ridge scout could be in line for a sash full of badges now that his idea to help healthcare professionals has gone worldwide. Linda Aylesworth has his story. 12-year-old Quinn Callender of Maple Ridge is doing his part to defeat COVID-19 by making these. These are ear guards and they are put on the back of a mask in order to relieve the stress off the back of your ears. He makes them at home on his 3D printer. It takes four hours to create eight of them. Since he started a couple of weeks ago, he's made 500, then given them all to this woman. Here's some more. Great, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Sarah is a registered nurse who shares them with her equally appreciative fellow healthcare workers. The mask is very uncomfortable. It's uh, painful at times. So you spend your day thinking about how painful your ears are when that's the last thing we need to be worried about right now. Quinn got the idea and the design from an international 3D printer website called Thingiverse. That he wanted to help wasn't really so surprising. We've met him before, six years ago when he helped raise money for a buddy in need of surgery in the United States. Basically, we already went past our goal. When word of Quinn's latest project went viral on Facebook, thousands of other good-hearted people with 3D printers wanted to get involved. I was just very lucky that uh, in Quinn's uh, viral Facebook post, uh, they included my link. Ken Lord is the man who took a good design, made it a little better, then posted it on Thingiverse for all to share. I've had responses from all over the world, uh, hundreds of people that, that are making them now for their uh, local health care providers. Ken has made 2,600 of the ear protectors. He's grateful to have found a way to help out when he has to stay in. We can send this out <laughs> to do some help for us, uh, um, make, make the lives a little bit easier for the people on the front lines. 
And I would just like to ask you to print them out and donate them to your local hospital or anybody who you think would need them. Here's a little interesting footnote. When Ken recently sought out Quinn to thank him, he discovered they both lived in Maple Ridge. He could have lived anywhere in the world, and he lives literally in our backyard. I really think that, you know, you either believe in a coincidence or it's fate, and for us, we totally believe it's fate. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. What a cool story. And it is time now to recognize one of our BC healthcare heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've asked you for your nominations, and tonight's comes from Natasha Backus. She's nominating her friend Kelly Ogilvie. Kelly is an emergency room doctor at VGH. Last week, Kelly traveled to Bella Coola, working at Bella Coola General Hospital to help develop their COVID-19 action plan. She worked 96 hours in only six days. Kelly is an avid marathon runner and accomplished triathlete. Natasha and Kelly were set to run the Paris Marathon this month, but of course, that was canceled because of COVID-19. Natasha says Kelly is one of the most energetic, caring, and generous people she knows. So thank you, Kelly, for your dedication and sacrifice to help BC win this battle against COVID-19. And if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us your pictures and a few details about your hero to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Another very well-deserving healthcare hero. Okay, the meteorologists are heroes with that long-term forecast. We'll check in for the final word from Christy right now. Looks beautiful. That's right. No rain as far as we can see. Well, it may break down in the middle part of next week, but still plenty of sunshine and warmth over the next few days. And the 7 o'clock banging has taken off a little early here in North Vancouver. I'll let my neighbors know that it's not quite time yet, but it will be very soon. They, they should know when you're <laughs> off the air, that's when you can start banging. Is, is North Van right. a minute ahead of us? Is that how it works? <laughs> they must be. <laughs> well, enjoy it and have fun with the boys sure out there as well. There. And uh, say hi to your neighbors from us as well. Thanks for watching tonight, everybody. Stay healthy, stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow.